Hello, everyone. We're looking at uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 12. And I'm just going to jump right into it because uh, there's some serious ground I want to cover this morning. I describe this message this way. Invisible to our eyes and yet very real is the spiritual realm. It's the place where God angels and demons, and the spiritual part of humans collide. Because it's invisible, it's not easy to understand. The Bible gives us some insight, but much of it remains a mystery. What we do know is that there are spiritual forces of darkness seeking to pull us away from our relationship with God. These fallen angels have superior power and intelligence, to us, and their clever schemes are often effective. So this message will aim to give us a greater awareness of these unseen adversaries and show us how to overcome. Well, through the years, I've seen a lot of weirdness amongst Christians around this idea of spiritual warfare. It has become an obsession with some. And a lot of extra-biblical teachings are developed to train people on how to fight demons. Uh, books and conferences are centered around the activity of Satan. People almost get into it the way they get into Harry Potter or Marvel Comics or Lord of the Rings there's sort of an excitement in participating in a conflict against evil. This excessive focus on demons is problematic for a few reasons. It's simply uh, not what the writers of the Bible focused on. They acknowledged demonic activity, of course, but the overwhelming focus was always on the glory of God. Many of the teachings of these so-called uh, spiritual warfare experts supposedly, uh, they're not based on Scripture. They're special revelations, really, that are given to them by the Holy Spirit, so they say. These teachings get people more excited about fighting the devil than about knowing Jesus. And that's a problem. And the whole thing can just get weird. Uh, ironically, I believe that there is a lot of demon activity in some of these circles where they're fighting the devil. And the activities get bizarre, uh, throwing up demons into paper bags, uh, rebuking demons in a person for hours and hours and hours binding territorial spirits. Hundreds of people in a congregation talking to Satan simultaneously and so on. Again, some of these things can be genuine and, and, and God can even kind of use it somewhat, but it's, it's just not scriptural. What should be a worship gathering 
centered on Jesus and the glorious gospel becomes a circus-like performance where the main preacher becomes a, a sort of a rock star exorcist. In some cases, sadly, the star of the show is Satan himself, and the people love the excitement of it all. Well, while we don't want anything to do with that, we must be careful not to swing the other way and ignore the reality of demonic activity in the world. The Bible does not do that. Jesus didn't do that. The first Christians didn't do that. We should have a sober awareness of the schemes of Satan and understand how to defeat these invisible, these invisible forces of darkness. Well, in the text, Paul starts out by saying, we love this uh, phrase, be strong in the Lord. And I imagine that Paul might have had God's words to Joshua in mind. Um, at the outset of Joshua's leadership of the Jewish people, the Lord says in Joshua 1, be strong and courageous. And he says it three times. But when you read what God is saying carefully, it is very different from some kind of just like macho pep talk, be strong, be tough, you can do it, you are powerful. It's, it's, it's not like that at all. In fact, Joshua 1 says this, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And the emphasis is on the Lord your God is with you. He's the one that is strong. We are weak, he is strong. In Joshua 1, and really all through the scriptures, the exhortation is to find our strength in dependence upon the God who is with us. I understand some people in the natural, right, are tougher than other people, uh, especially in high school amongst the boys. This was a big, stupid thing. Uh, when I was a kid, at least. But when it comes to spiritual warfare, even the toughest people are outmatched. It would be like a bunch of kindergarten kids going up against the high school football team. The fact is, we are inferior and weak up against spiritual foes of darkness. And we would be wise to realize that. Apart from God's power in our lives, we are easy prey for Satan. He would have no problem deceiving and enslaving us. He is much smarter than us. But what does it mean to be strong in the Lord? Paul said in one of his letters to young Timothy, a young pastor, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's 2 Timothy 2.1. The grace of God is not just a theological concept of unmerited favor, which we've often heard that, yes, grace is definitely unmerited, and it's the favor of God. But it's more than that. It's the life of God that flows from God to us. On our behalf, it's the substance of God. It's the sufficiency of God. It comes from God into our lives on our behalf. One of my favorite 
verses on grace is this, 2 Corinthians 9, 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. I love that. It just covers everything. I mean, Paul the Apostle, who was, he seemed pretty tough, right? You know, Paul the Apostle, this great man, he said, who is sufficient for this ministry that we're called to? And his ministry was to uh, push back the powers of Satan and set people free. Well, who's sufficient for that? He said, our sufficiency comes from God who makes us able ministers. So think of the grace of God as a great storehouse filled with everything we need for life and godliness. To be strong in the Lord is to tap into the storehouse. It's to understand our own spiritual poverty and inferiority and draw strength from God. It's the opposite of being self-sufficient, which in our culture, especially in New England, that is praised as a great thing, self-sufficiency. But if we're self-sufficient, we're going to be overrun by the wicked one. There's a humility to drawing from the grace of God, to acknowledging that we, we can't do this on our own. It's expressed in frequent prayers of dependence on God. You know, prayers like, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. That we pray from morning till night. I've probably prayed it at least 40 or 50 times already today. Lord, I need you. Right when I got out of the bed, I think before I got into the shower, I had said, Lord, I need you at least a dozen times. It's good. It's just, that's my way of reminding myself that I, I'm not strong. I'm not great. I'm not clever. I'm not, I can't come up against the enemy. I can't preach the gospel with power. I can't minister to people. I can't do anything. I can't get through a day without being, you know, overrun by Satan, without God's help. So we are totally dependent on him. Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. The Lord is not only powerful, but he is infinite in power, right? By his power, he spoke the universe into being. He said, let there be light. And uh, Colossians 1 says he holds all things together. Um, our God is powerful without question. But when we think of this conflict against demons, we shouldn't really think so much in physical terms. You know, the, that we're going to uh, somehow rumble. You know, the church is going to rumble against these fallen angels uh, in some sort of physical conflict. It's not like that. The conflict is more like a chess match than a street fight. So to be strong in the Lord, don't miss this, and in the strength of his might is to be, listen, equipped with truth by the Lord to discern deceptions and to expose lies. 
It is to rely on the Holy Spirit to fill us with wisdom so that we can be aware of Satan's schemes and fight those schemes with truth, right? I mean, uh, even in Ephesians 6, what is the, the one weapon mentioned? There's a lot of defense weapons, right? You know, the shield and these different things, but helmet. But the one weapon is the word of God, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the truth. Jesus used the word of God in the wilderness when Satan tempted him. That is our great weapon, and we need to know it. To say it more plainly, to be strong in the Lord's power is to use the resources and weapons that he has given us in this war against evil forces. It really comes down to the practice of just crying out to God in dependence and steeping in the word day and night. You know, we can, we can say that, that we're being strong in the Lord. Those are just words. But if we aren't devoted to prayer and the word, then we really aren't being strong in the Lord. To neglect prayer and the word shows you aren't dependent on the Lord at all, but that you are in control of your life and you follow you and you are self-sufficient. It can be a good thing to be self-sufficient, I think, in natural things. You, know, you, you kind of teach your kids that, to learn how to tie their shoes. You know, you don't want them to be dependent on other people to tie their shoes when they're 25 years old. Uh, you know, so obviously in the natural, self-sufficiency is good. But in spiritual things, listen, self-sufficiency will cause you to be deceived, enslaved, and it will eventually destroy your spiritual life. So learn what it means to depend on Christ. First Peter 5 says this, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith. You know, we sometimes put the emphasis on resist him. You know, like we're strong, we're powerful. But the emphasis I want to put on it is firm in your faith. What faith? You know, faith is such a watered-down thing in the culture. You know, there's little plaques and different things, and everybody has faith, and well, just, you know, it was my faith that got me through, and it just, it's come, become like a sentimental, meaningless word. But when we see faith in Scripture, we're talking about the object of our faith is who? Jesus. So to be, to resist the evil forces of darkness by faith is to look to Jesus, to trust in Jesus, to cling to Jesus, to depend on him, to call upon God. It's not a, any kind of strength in ourselves. It's looking to the one who is all-powerful. And then he says, you know, be watchful, right, in this verse. What should we be watching for? You know, does he mean we should be watching out for demons? I don't really think so. I mean, I think we can discern uh, demonic activity. We need to identify voices that are in our mind or, you know, just lies that are coming to us in various ways. Absolutely. But it's really watching is a general term in Scripture that refers to watching over your own life. Jesus said, watch and pray. Paul said to young Timothy, watch your life and doctrine carefully. 
It means that we should constantly scrutinize our lives in the light of God's word to see if there's anything that we are not obeying, if there's any foothold we are giving to the devil. Because listen, it only takes a little door opening up. You know, sometimes we think, well, you know, I'm obeying Jesus in 99 out of 100 things. You know, this one little thing, I don't really think it's going to be that big of a deal. I mean, there's a lot of Christians doing a lot, a lot of stupid things. You know, I'm not going to worry about this little opening of the door. No, you can't think like that. I mean, it's like, I don't know, if you lived in, uh, I don't want to pick on a neighborhood, but <laughs> there's certain neighborhoods that have more uh, rats and mice than other neighborhoods. But you, you don't just say, well, you know, all the doors and all the windows are shut, but I'm just going to leave this one little crack open here, just one inch. You can do less than an inch. They'll get in because that's how they, 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 they can squeeze in. And that's what Satan does. He, you know, he, he, he just looking for a tiny opening in your life. So make sure your life is sealed, closed, live blameless, walk holy before God. Um, as I often said to my daughters growing up, don't do what other Christians do. Because you'll find that other Christians are leaving all kinds of doors and windows open. Uh, unwise. And it's only a matter of time before Evil comes in, and when it comes in, it grows, and it overtakes a person's life. It doesn't happen overnight, but it happens over time. Next, Paul says in the text, put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, we're going to explore the armor of God next week in more depth, but uh, just know that the armor represents the resources of God made available to us to stand firm against the forces of darkness. What I want to highlight now is this phrase, schemes of the devil. A scheme is a plan. It's a plot. Paul said to the Corinthians, we are not unaware of Satan's schemes. So the question for us is, are we aware? Do we understand the schemes of the enemy, because demons operate in a realm invisible to us. Uh, I think sometimes we don't think that they're bothering us, right? You know, we we uh, when we have a really really bad week, I mean everything just goes bad. The car breaks down, the pipes burst. I just you know we're sick. We have the flu. Some of the boss is getting on. We're like, oh, the devil is attacking us, which is probably true, but. There's a lot more frequent and systematic strategy involved in Satan's workings than we perhaps realize. I have to mention here the, the book, uh, Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. It's essentially a conversation between a demon, Wormwood, and his superior, Screwtape, about the work to deceive a man who comes to believe in Jesus. Screwtape offers clever suggestions on how to really trip this Christian up. It's brilliant literature, but it's very eye-opening. Not that Lewis knew exactly how things worked in the spiritual realm, but he captures the essence of uh, just the subtleties of the enemy and how the enemy operates smart and very tailor fit to our particular lives. 
So we do have to be discerning about his ways, his schemes. Now, these demonic powers work not directly on us. I mean, I think they can. I mean, it's a little, you know, uncertain, but it does seem like they can drop ideas into us. I mean, Jesus in the wilderness was tempted by the devil. There was no people out there. Uh, you know, what, what, what was it? Satan was out there and was able to somehow communicate or drop thoughts or impressions into his mind. But I think a lot of the work of the devil, listen, is, comes through things that we read or we look at or just, you know, even just the overall kind of looking at culture or through the consensus of culture and society, just what people kind of think and believe. And all of that kind of speaks to us all the time. Just It's kind of, you know, just talking to us. There are voices, layers of voices that, that bombard us, really from the time we're little, from the time we're little kids. And they can come from good people. Often Satan's best in instruments come from people that we really trust, right? Uh, so we really have to be discerning. And you can't just believe people because we like them or they're our family members or whatever. Everything we hear needs to be filtered through the word of God. Satan's objective is to pull us away from a relationship with Christ. And if possible, to get us to doubt the goodness of God and even the existence of God. It is scriptural that Satan can sometimes, if permitted by the Lord, put sickness upon people. Uh, Job would be an example of that. And often many of the people that Jesus healed, he was rebuking a certain spirit on that person. So the sickness was brought on by a an evil spirit. But that's not always the case. He can also fill people with evil so that Christians are imprisoned or persecuted or even killed. Again, only if the Lord permits. Maybe Satan takes pleasure in causing sickness or death, but his primary passion is to get us to think God is not good and to cause us to turn away from the Lord. His greatest successes are when he gradually pulls people so far from the faith that they deny Jesus publicly, especially likes when they make a big deal about it. Blow the trumpets. Let everybody know. Put it on social media. Oh, Satan loves the deconversion stories of famous Christians. We won't even list them. There's so many in recent years. If heaven rejoices when one sinner repents, hell rejoices when one believer departs from the faith. I was brainstorming some of the classic lies that Satan brings to us in a variety of different ways, of course. And I'm going to just read some of the ones that came to mind. I'm just going to read them all at once to expose them. But remember that he attempts to convince us of these things gradually and systematically over years, often through people we know and respect, as I said before. He may even take one single lie from the list that I read and just hammer away on you for a decade until he breaks you down. And I'll say here that some of you may think I 
sound like a broken record always telling you that you, you need to know the Word of God and have it deep in your heart, not just as information, but as an abiding conviction forged by the Holy Spirit. But really, listen, it's our only hope to stand up against the onslaught of spiritual persuasions of forces of darkness. Here are some of Satan's lies and doubts. I'm sure many of them you are well acquainted with. I certainly am. And also notice the the half-truths. No one is perfect, he tells us. It's okay to hold on to one little sin. You know, you do so much for, for the kingdom of God. You deserve a little release. You've been hurt badly. You need to just self-medicate for a while. Sin isn't that big of a deal. God is merciful. He'll forgive you later. You can just repent later. Again, it's a half-truth. He doesn't tell us how hard it is to come back to the Lord if we go deep, deep down into the hole of sin. Some never return. Or he says, the Lord doesn't like you. You do so much for so many people, but nobody notices. Nobody cares. You're a loser, a failure, an annoyance to God. Or he says, prayer is a waste of time. Why even bother with it? Hell isn't real. Don't fuss with spreading the gospel. Look at all the suffering in the world. How can God really be good? Do you think a good God would send people to hell? God doesn't want you to be so extreme. Be like the world more. You know, they'll open up to the faith if you're more like them. Or he loves this one. You don't have what it takes to be a strong believer. You are hopelessly flawed and weak. Because of your past sins, you are now disqualified from doing anything great. So don't even bother. Oh, this is a popular lie in this generation. You don't need to go to church. Church is optional. Organized religion is suspect. The people at the church are a bunch of hypocrites anyways, and they don't love you. Just, you know, keep your relationship between you and God, and that's all you need. And about your sin, don't tell anyone. Oh, keep it hidden in private. You know, you can't trust people these days. Don't beat yourself up. God understands that sin you're going to, to commit, it's going to be so good. It, it's going to make life more exciting. And is it really a sin anyhow? Don't be so rigid about your religion, he tells us. There are lots of good religions in the world. No one really knows who God is. Don't be so arrogant and pompous telling people that Jesus is the only way. And along with that, don't be a homophobic jerk and believe that it's a sin to practice homosexuality. Come on, man. Get with the times. Do you really believe God is a jerk? Chill out with your sexual ethics from the 1950s. 
Don't take the Bible so literally. It was written by men. All religions are man-made. Just hold religion loosely. Don't, you know, have some fun. You don't want to be one of those Jesus freaks, do you? I mean, it's fine to believe certain things about the Bible, but come on, man. There's a reason the majority of the population rejects the Bible. Because it's absurd. Do you want people to think you're absurd or prudish? Do you want people to call you Bible boy? Come down to earth. Join the human race. Get off your religious high horse. Don't make such a fuss about sin. Everybody sins. Just keep it private. I mean, it's fine to think about dirty things as long as you don't act on them. What you do in your mind, it doesn't hurt anyone. What has God ever done for you? Look at all the things you've suffered. You should just do what you want because God isn't paying attention to you anyhow. Do what you want. God won't send you to hell. Don't waste your life on religion. I mean, maybe when you die, that's it. You're six feet under. Get what you can in this life, man. Because there may be nothing beyond it. And we could keep going with the lies and deceptions and doubts that the enemy brings our way. Again, the way to wrestle these forces of darkness and these lies is by knowing the truth in your heart. Paul continues in Ephesians 6 saying, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We wrestle not against flesh and blood means that people are not the enemy. He mentions rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces of evil. I'll be honest and tell you, I I don't really know what he's talking about. I don't know why he gives these four different terms. Maybe he's just being poetic. Maybe he wants to conjure up this kind of idea of military imagery. Uh, You sort of get the idea by reading this that there are leaders and those under the leaders, kind of like screw tape letters, right? All working to do evil. That there's some system uh, to this. It's not just this random, you know, crazy demons going, flying around and, you know, they're all doing their own thing. There, there seems to be some intelligence to the operation. And maybe that's what Paul was bringing out. Some have asked the question, how many are there? I mean, how many demons are there? Does everybody get their own demon assigned to them, kind of like in screw tape letters? Or, you know, do some people have, uh, I remember my, uh, our old prayer pastor in New York used to say, man, I woke up today, I felt like there was like a hundred demons on my head. And sometimes we feel like that. And maybe sometimes there are uh, more than one, and there's just, you know, a little cluster of them who are coming at us. And maybe there's times where we're not being bothered at all, thank God, uh, by any kind of demonic force. But how many are there? Probably millions. Again, you know, if we could just see, just for a moment, if the curtain could be pulled back, we would probably be shocked at how many demons are at work in your workplace or how many demons are in your your nice little college that you attend or even amongst your family or even sometimes in your own life in your own house uh, not to scare us but 
it's it's a thing. It's a real thing. I mean, it's I don't want to be. I don't know about you, but I don't. It's it's not helpful to 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 be like, well, I don't want to think about that. You know, that's too scary. I don't want to think about that. If it's really a thing, then I want to know about it. Um, which leads me to this last thought. All we need to know is that these forces of darkness are real. They're angry. They don't like us, and they are trying to pull us away from our, our Lord. And to know, most importantly, that we have all authority over the power of Satan through Jesus. Let me say that again. We have all authority over the power of Satan through Jesus. We should be sober about the works of the enemy, sober about guarding our hearts with all diligence and not giving the devil a foothold, not opening the door, even a crack. We should be sober and watchful, but never afraid of the enemy. 1 John 5, verses 18 and 19 say this, We know that everyone who is born of God, that's us, does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. What an incredible promise. We are shielded. We are protected. And the work of the enemy cannot touch us. Now, again, it doesn't mean we can get cocky and careless in our walk with God and think that we're just going to be fine because, you know, the Lord's going to protect us. No, the Lord has told us how we will be protected, and that is by staying close to him, dependent on him, and keeping a guard around our lives. Willful sin will open the door to the devil and you will be overrun. Mark it down. I've seen it over and over and over in people's lives through the years. Keep your heart guarded. And when you do, and you stay close, cling to Jesus. Know your weakness. Know your not strong, you're not smarter than the devil. Just know who you are. Know that you're, you're not able to come up against the enemy in your own strength. Just know that and cling to Jesus. And he will watch over you. He will keep you. He will protect you. And we don't have to be afraid. Thanks for listening.